As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello, this is Glad Tidings, a podcast all about Everton from The Athletic with your in-house club correspondents Greg O'Keefe, and that's me, and Paddy Boyland. On the show this week, we leave the Amex with little credit. Injury added to insult as Gabamon is ruled out for the season. Visit of struggling spares as an air of importance, and one eye on the Champions League as PSG dispatch Bayern. Afternoon, Pad, before we get going, um, give us your thoughts on Marmalade, please. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there's a whole load of context I need to, to add to this. No, just give us a thought. Yeah, maybe add some context. Then. A telling, a telling, telling insight into how pre-production works, where we discuss important things like marmalade and lemon curd and how I abhor both substances. Um, <laughs> yeah, fantastic. The, the, behind the veil of glad tidings, the, the, the outtakes edition this season, I think, will be... <laughs> particularly particularly strong but no no horrible horrible subject. other than that other than that other than that conversation really i'm i'm actually doing quite well back in my uh back in my flat by the, the liverpool waterfront now finally after about a month away because of various issues so feeling a little bit more optimistic the the only thing i've got to complain about right now with the weather being so nice it's the fact that Everton would die on Monday, but I'm sure, I'm sure we'll get into it. <laughs> we certainly will. We've got to have something to complain about, haven't we? Um, and obviously, we do uh, We do know that you'll be desperate to hear those outtakes of the pre-production marmalade chat, so we will you know, look forward to getting that <laughs> at the end of the season. We'll get that on it. Um, don't forget, you can subscribe to Athletic UK right now for a special price of 3 99 a month for six months. So that's 40% off the full price of the subscription. You'll get all the great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts. Uh, this week, we've already had Paddy's reaction to a frustrating night, like we said, at the Amex. Um, a nice piece looking at the under a timely piece from Paddy, looking at the under-18s and the different emerging talents we've got there, half of whom seem to be on the bench at Brighton and may well be again on Friday evening. There's a column from me on Seamus Coleman imminently and lots of other stuff that Paddy and I are working on this week. So don't forget, you go to athletic.com 
forward slash Everton pod to take advantage of this special 40% discount. That's theathletic.com forward slash Everton pod. So, yeah, Paddy, was, uh, like I say, Paddy, it was your game, wasn't it, in terms of you, the one covering it, unfortunately, for, for you yeah. <laughs> um, on Monday evening. And I don't know, I, mean, I was just thinking about this earlier. It's not so much that you could blame a lack of effort, but there was a lack of everything else there, wasn't there? And, and at a time, Brighton looked like the more likely winners. Yeah, I'd go along with that final point, definitely. Um, save for... Maybe the Alex Awobi chance at the end, which I'll be honest, I thought that was in. Oh, from, yeah. From the yeah. TV, TV camera angle. Yeah. Um, save for that, there wasn't much else in an attacking sense from Everton. Obviously set up to restrict with what appeared to be about 15 centre-backs on the pitch in a variety of different roles. Um, we've, we've become accustomed to that recently, haven't we? Um, quite a limited game plan. A game plan that in the main, I think, probably worked from a defensive point of view because Brighton didn't have too many chances, but didn't give us much at all in possession. Um, I mentioned in the match piece and I mentioned to you over WhatsApp, why was Robin Olsen playing long balls to Tom Davis, <laughs> of all people? Tom's not even that tall, is he? I think, no. is, he, is he six foot even? I don't think so, about 5'10". Yeah. Hmm. So why was Everton's goalkeeper playing the ball to, to Tom Davis? Exactly. Beyond me. Um, so it was, it was, it was, it was frustrating. Obviously, missing a load of players, so you have to be realistic. Um, I think the injury list is too long right now for um, certain aspirations, particularly Champions League. But there just wasn't. I don't, I don't know what you thought, but I just didn't feel it was there was enough in attack. There definitely wasn't enough. Uh, I agree. There wasn't enough at times urgency, and certainly not enough uh, edge or or technical. Acumen really in the final third, and that's been a worry for a while now, apart from James Rodriguez. Um, do you think, obviously, the news about Jean Philippe Gabin uh, that we reported on Monday, do you think the sort of that had an impact on team morale? Because I mean, they they would have been delighted to see him finally come back last Monday, and then also pleased to have him back in the squad as another senior option, and then for him to be ruled out in the way that he was. And then for Alan not to make it as well, we thought Alan might be in the, in the running to start uh, at Brighton. Do you think Seamus Coleman alluded to morale afterwards, or he was asked about it rather? Do you think that was, that was part of the problem? Well, he kind of poo-pooed that, I think, a little bit in he, he did, yeah. In his um, interview with Sky Sports, um, I don't know really. It's it's obviously been tough for for everybody, particularly Gabamon himself. Um, that is a massive blow for him, a really cruel blow. I think probably the cruelest of all, which, which is saying something when it comes to him. I think that is bound to have some kind of knock-on effect. And the fact that Calvert-Lewin obviously travels but doesn't play, Josh King is ruled out. By by the time Yerry Mina was injured in the second half and had to go off, I think it was 11 first-team players out. I think that's about... That's not just about kind of mental tiredness and and stuff like that and what the knock-on effect of that. But I think it's just about quality, isn't it? Not having enough quality in certain areas being particularly depleted in the middle of the park. And whatever you say about the players, they did battle to a clean sheet. What we didn't get was the the free-flowing football, the playing out from the back that Ancelotti wants, ultimately. that That's what training is about, we're, we're told. Everything is passing drills between the lines, finding players in space, playing the ball through banks of two, three, four at times players. 
particularly the defenders. And on Monday night, it was Mason Holgate receiving the ball or Tom Davis receiving the ball. Everton's midfield very much down to its bare bones. So that didn't happen. Um, It was disappointing in, in that sense. Disappointing, obviously, with regards to Europe. Um, and I'd, I'd like to start seeing more because I, I looked at that team and even though it was depleted, sitting deep doesn't really seem to work to the strengths of Hannes Rodriguez. Uh, doesn't really seem to work to the strengths of, of Gilfie Sigurdsson. I thought Richarlison was completely isolated. I felt really sorry for him, actually, um, with the role he was given because he was effectively having to field long balls against Lewis Dunk. Um He's never going to win them, uh, let's be honest, with his back with his back to goal. So um, it felt like an accentuated version of what we've seen over the last couple of months, um, partly because of injuries, partly because of necessity, but also I think Everton sometimes are their own worst enemies on the ball. So um, these are kind of recurring themes and I think they'll, they'll continue. Mm. Um, what we have to hope now, Ancelotti mentioned after the game that he's hoping to have four or five players back, including Jordan Pickford and Calvert-Lewin. Maybe Alan for that game against Tottenham. They need to get players back soon because um, without all that quality, like I said, I think I think Europe is a is a very distant prospect. It's not just the momentum that obviously in, in the table that's dwindled. That's clearly the most important thing. But I think it's a bit of belief, or rather, certainly among the fans. I think that you know there was a talk, wasn't there, in the heady days of about a month ago of um, the top four, and we were chatting before we started recording and, and looking enviously at West Ham up there and forth where uh, as, as they are now and sort of thinking what 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 might have been and what probably should have been if you know a few twists of eight obviously injuries don't help but you know, Joshua King coming in not having an impact and you look at down at the Olympic Stadium and Jesse Lingard going there and having the opposite it's um it's really frustrating do you think given the situation we've got now where you know, Isaac Price is on the bench, 17-year-old midfielder. Uh, it just is bare bones completely in, in the middle of the park. Do you think midfield has got to be another area to address again um, in the in the summer? Or do you think some of these youngsters can can step up? It's difficult, isn't it? Obviously, Tyler and Yang goes out with uh, a fractured ankle, but maybe we'll be involved or back ready to be involved again at the start of next season or certainly not long after it. That um, we just need more depth, don't we? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think part of the issue is players like Alan, Fabian Delph in particular, but also Gabar and picking up <laughs> Fabian, Fabian Delph. I was about to read a Wikipedia page to introduce him to you, but uh, right, thanks. <laughs> let's let's spare let's spare everybody in that because uh, yeah, he's obviously <laughs> the lesser spotted Fabian Delph, who's who's still out um, as he has been for much of the season. A lot of those players, Andre Gomez is another one that's susceptible to picking up injuries. And I also think like we we talk about building from the back and that being Ancelotti's preference. Well, who's really going to do that even when everybody's fit? I mean, I really like Abdullah Decore, as I know you do. I really like Alan as a player, but neither of them are those kind of deep-lying playmakers that, like, say, a Mikel Arteta was at times. No. Um, And I think that's almost what you need when you're building from the back. You need somebody to to drop in and, and knit those attacks together. You, you mentioned Isaac Price being on the bench. He's a 17-year-old kid. And, th- I mean, this is his first season even at under-23 level. He started the season as an under-18. 
He still plays under 18 games. He's still got the body of a kid. Mm. Um, and he's being asked to replace potentially um, Abdullah Decore, Jean-Philippe Gabamin, these guys who are, at least in terms of how they look, primed to be Premier League specimen. Mm. And I think that's, that's the issue in itself. Uh, West Ham have done so well because they've got somebody like Jesse Lingard who just, he picks up the ball and makes things happen with his direct running. And I, Everton don't have that out ball at the moment. I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't know who's going to carry the ball forward with pace. They've obviously in the past had Ducore to do it. They've, they've obviously had Richarlison, if he plays on the left, to do it. Theo Walcott even is out on loan at Southampton. But I think they're crying out for that player as well to, to, to bring the ball forward at speed and just to alleviate some pressure because everything is, we sit deep, we defend, and then we look to hit the ball long to a, to a Calvert-Lewin type. Mm. Well, what happens if that doesn't work? Um, because and it frequently the- doesn't, yeah. No, so... No, uh, yeah. So, so yeah, I, I just that, that would be my question. I, I just think there needs to be... They look slow at the moment, don't they? Save for Ben Godfrey, maybe Mason Holgate. They look slow. Even the gifted players like James Rodriguez look slow to me. I just feel that it, it, it almost... It, it's it, quite passive, quite slow, stodgy football. And you, you just want an injection of pace from somewhere to shake people and get an objection, uh, an injection of pace from somewhere. I couldn't agree more. I think even as, as unbelievably gifted with the ball at his feet as James Rodriguez is, more often than not, he's getting it with players in front of him because he's not quick enough. I don't know if he ever was, but he doesn't seem quick enough now to, to, to be surging beyond the player. So he's having to get the ball and then, you know, with a few tricks and, and, and feints, go past them. But someone to burst through the lines. You're right, you're looking at centre-backs or players who have signed as centre-backs, so, you know, in terms of Godfrey and, and Holgate. Um, Seamus Coleman as a wing-back. Yeah, you know, yeah. a 32-year-old 30, wing-back. We're really missing that. That's a, that's a really good point. It's may, and maybe, you know, you, you did a piece I mentioned at the top there, but... Or maybe I didn't mention it, actually. Probably, in hindsight, I didn't because time's sadly moved on it since. But you did a piece at the end of last week about, you know, what the real Gabamon is all about and what we might expect from him. And I, I really enjoyed it, found it entertaining. Sorry, inf- informing and entertaining, infotaining. <laughs> because I learned about, you know, from obviously you, you studied a lot of his games uh, at Mines and, and for Ivory Coast. And he did seem like a player, actually, on occasion can burst forward with the ball and break through the lines. Maybe not so much in a sort of creative way, but can just by sheer pace and force as well. Obviously, that's not going to be an option again now for a while. So we, you're right, we badly lack that. And I think that needs to be addressed in the window. I know you've got, you're working on a piece that will be really interesting about the whole issue of Everton's lack of pace in general. Um, do look out for that soon on the side. But it's going to hit us for the running, I think. we. There's no wonder we sometimes appear easy to play against yeah. when most of the time the, the, you know, we're playing in front of the opposition's banks of four or whatever it is. And then obviously, you just as you, as you say, we're either look, looking to hit it long to, to the wing-backs or to someone, or we're just trying to put in crosses and we've only got a limited, you know, only sort of Sigurdsson, Rodriguez and... Uh, and Dean, who you'd really want to be sending crosses in most of the time. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. The other thing is, I mean, there's a fantastic moment from James Rodriguez in the first half at the Amex. The pass in behind to Gilfie Sigurdsson, um, which I, again, mentioned in my piece. Yeah. It's wasted in the end. It results in a corner that is easily cleared. Sigurdsson plays the ball back and nothing really comes of it. That shows James at his best. And I just wonder how many times is he able to look forward and release those runners? You're going to get the best out of James if you've got lads on the shoulder with the last man looking to get on the end of those three balls yeah. and stretch play. But they're not really they're not really doing that. They've not got wingers really and we discussed this on the last show Alex Awobi and Bernard aren't your conventional wingers Walcott's away there's not a lot of pace stretching the game in wide areas so a lot's on the forwards and sometimes the forwards aren't even doing it so um, it's almost like yeah, you've got Hammers there but you've not got all the components to make the most out of Hammers insofar as Everton are not dominating possession they're not giving them the ball enough and they're also He's looking up at times, trying to make a forward pass. And there's nobody there for him to pass to, and he's kind of keeping hold of it and so on and so forth. He's still gifted on the ball. He'll find those runners if they make the runs. Um, but I, I think it's something that needs to be addressed over the summer because I think there is pace in the team. But most of it is pace. Concentrated, as we've said, with like Ben Godfrey and Mason Holgate. An ageing now, Seamus Coleman, who I, th- I thought was excellent actually at the Amex, one of, one of Everton's best players. Godfrey, uh, outstanding again with a, with a last-ditch last block on um, Welbeck towards the end. Holgate filled in admirably at, at, uh, in central midfield and is having a little bit of a resurgence for me. But uh, these are all defensive players we're talking about and we talk about James's quality, but I don't think we're unlocking the team and the team's capacity at this moment. And, and that, that that's a worry that kind of goes beyond the injuries because I think it's been something that's probably be in the case now for a good four or five, maybe even six months. There are always big summers for recruitment to Everton, aren't they? But I think it's it's another big one. And I'd be amazed if Pace wasn't very high up on the list of the attributes that they want for almost every area that they need to recruit in. If maybe not the striking, if they're going to look for a striking cover for Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison, but certainly in the wide player, in the right back, uh, potentially in the middle of the park. I'd say pace has to be right up there. Um, so obviously we've got a, a, a crucial game on Friday evening, it really is, with seven games left. Uh, Spurs, not a million miles from us on the table, coming to Goodison Park, themselves not exactly flying at the moment. Uh, Jose Mourinho is struggling to just get any momentum 
Um, not dissimilar to the way we're, we're struggling to get any momentum, really. Um, we know it's going to be a difficult game. There was an absolute classic in the cup, wasn't there, at Goodison earlier in the season. Um, I don't know about our blood pressure if we could handle another one of them. But... <laughs> no. <laughs> no. But... I was at that 5-4. I, mean, yeah. I, I was lucky enough to be at it and it was a it was a fantastic game. Everton were on the right side of the result. And I felt very optimistic afterwards because Everton don't usually get through those games. I was thinking to myself, they can get through this kind of scenario against a top six, a supposed big six side, then they, they really are on the right path. And then um, a couple of hours later, the, the draw is made for the quarterfinals and it's, and it's Manchester City. Uh, I'd be very surprised if it's 5-4 on this occasion. But I think, I think there are a lot of parallels between, between the two sides at this moment in time. They both got the kind of the experienced kind of big name manager um, who has some questions to answer, maybe Mourinho more questions to answer than, than Ancelotti. Both gone slightly more defensive uh, in recent months, maybe longer for Mourinho. Um, and the two sides very close to each other in the table need an, in- an injection of something to keep European hopes alive. For whoever loses that match, um, I think they're, they're, they're in trouble as far as the rest of the season is concerned. You'd almost look at that and go, whoever loses is probably out of the running, certainly for the Champions League and probably the Europa League, in all honesty as well. So it's it's huge for both sides. Um, I, can, I can never get too excited about playing Spurs because you always think to yourself, Son's capable of doing something. Um, and Harry Kane as well. And Don Blay midfield's a fantastic player. So they've got they've got things that they can work with in their in their favour, as we have. Um it hasn't clicked for them. But the worry is that it, just for one game it, it could well do. So uh, I think it's gonna be tough. I think it's gonna be really, really tough. And you're relying on getting players back. Calvert Lee would obviously be a big boost if if he comes back. But I look at that midfield area and it's like get some players fit. <laughs> get some players fit and, and keep them fit because you can't be going into matches with, I mean, where would Tom Davis and Mason Holgate rank among Everton's first choice central midfield options? As a combination, you're probably down to what, eighth, ninth, tenth option there? How are you meant to win games with that? Difficult, isn't it? And it just, you know, as much as Seamus Coleman amusingly said, and, and he, Ancelotti backs it up consistently. It's right not to not to moan on about um, injuries because ultimately there's nothing you can do about them, and it just distract. It, I think it provides excuses for the players that you do select, but it's, it's difficult to ignore it as mitigation. At the same time, this is it is a squad game. No team is going to go the whole season with their perfect eleven. You know, you had another line from your match piece from Monday that you know it was very stark. I thought was how just how um, infrequently we've been able to field our best team and have key combinations of players on the park at the same time. You know, Decore, Rodriguez, Alan, and uh, so on and so forth. It, it's happened not enough, but it's going to be like that. So this is where the lack of depth, I think, is really biting now. Yeah, well, it is. It is, and they've been unlucky with injuries and in some cases, but they've they've also, obviously, they chose to let Walcott go on loan. They, they chose to let Moise Keane go on loan. So they kind of eroded... Jenk Tosin in January even, they eroded that depth a little bit themselves through their own choice. Part of that was financial. I think getting half of Walcott's wages off the books, even for six months of the season, yeah. was something that 
they considered worthwhile doing given um, some of the issues over FFP. Moise Keane wanted to go and play regular football somewhere and has got that, as we'll mention later, uh, at PSG. Um, but they've kind of weakened their own hand and thought they'd muddle through. But even a lot of the players on the periphery are injured as well. I mean, Bernard, it doesn't look like he's going to be back for the game against Tottenham um, or in the kind of the near future. Whether he'd be able to contribute that much anyway remains to be seen, but um, they're weak, they're weak, they're weak. Um, and you've just got to hope, I think, that they're able to kind of pick themselves up with a few of these players who come back and then they address certain issues in the summer because I think we are seeing the need for reinforcements. Again, aren't we? You said every summer seems to be a big summer when it comes to Everton and that's, sadly, it's entirely right, isn't it? Yeah, and, you know, it's... You're right to point to there's, there's so many players just not involved at the moment. It's hard to keep track. But you know, Bernard has at times fleetingly, like against Tottenham, ironically, proven his class not not enough. I would suggest to to make him worth uh, persevering with as more than a squad player. But you know, to have not have those options, you, you just wonder. It's easy in hindsight, but you, you raise an interesting point there about the amount of players Everton allowed to go out on loan. And I'm also thinking of players such as Anthony Gordon, who was allowed to go out to Preston. It's not really working out. You just wonder whether it might have been wise to have been a little bit more economic with how many were allowed to go. And I know financial reasons, economics were part of that, as you, as you rightly say, part of the thinking. But maybe not when it comes down to the likes of Gordon. Um no. Ellis Sims, you know, Ellis Sims is a different case. I think he needed the loan. Obviously, he looks like he's flourishing at Blackpool, but um, I don't know. Easy in hindsight, but I know I remember Marcel Brands at the AGM before last saying how he felt it was crucial to have a small, compact squad of 25 players, two in every position. And I wonder if that if that is going to be the case, then he's got a lot of work, to, him and the manager got a lot of work to do to make sure that those two are, are equally competitive because not injury prone as well <laughs> well yeah and not injury prone exactly yeah. Yeah, exactly yeah that has to be a factor as well they have to look into players previous when it comes to injuries so yeah a big summer and plenty of plenty of work to do this episode is supported by season three of fx's welcome to wrexham Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Do you think Tottenham's 
woes are worse than ours. At least, I suppose, there's a unified front under Ancelotti. You know, the players are, are, are going to fight for him. The players are, believe in his methods. There's a happy dressing room. Um, it maybe not always feeling the way down at Tottenham, is it? I don't think it is at Tottenham, to be honest. I think, obviously, you hear whispers on the grapevine from there that not all is well. And you can kind of see that when you watch any Jose Mourinho interview or press conference at the moment. He's kind of digging his players out and blaming them for stuff. Ancelotti won't do that. He certainly won't do that publicly. And I do believe the Everton players hold him in high regard. They enjoy working with him and believe he's helping them to progress. So I don't. I, I think Everton is a happier camp, even with all the injuries, than Tottenham. Tottenham just seem to be in a bit of disarray. There's a question mark over whether Mourinho will even continue, given the extent of their underperformance. Everton's slightly different kettle of fish. You mentioned there the the amount of injuries that they've had, the amount of times that they've been able to call upon probably their five or six best players, and that's all mitigation. I think as far as Ancelotti is concerned, um, if things maybe don't go the way that they would have hoped this season. Now, I thought it was quite telling, actually, that Seamus Coleman in his interview said that um, if they don't get European football of one degree or another, that would constitute failure. Mm. Um, and we've spoken about this before. If, if, you're, if you state and you put it out there publicly with people like us in the media, that the aim is the Europa League and you don't get the Europa League, then you have to be assessed against your own kind yeah. of goals and Absolutely. Goals yeah. games. Um, and what we don't want is a season that, that kind of fizzles out. So um, I think I think Friday will give one of these clubs a boost, provided there's a winner. I th- I th- let's say if Everton win this game, then they're really not out of it. They're really, really not out of it because they'll have usurped Tottenham and then they'll be looking at with the game in hand at the clubs above them. That could just give them the bit of kind of buoyancy they need, particularly with players back. But whoever loses it, I think, is is kind of staring down the barrel for, for Europe. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm there on Friday night. Um, another weird is it eight o'clock-ish kickoff. Um, We've kind of become accustomed to these now. Um I don't think anybody particularly enjoys them, but let, let's hope it's it's a, a good game similar to the last one. And you're right, the stakes are you know everything just behind Tottenham by a point in the table. Uh, as Seamus said, we're six points off fifth where Chelsea currently are, um, but we're only four points ahead of Villa in eleventh. Um, you know we've got to play Villa. We're, we're quite some distance away from Wolves in twelfth, but we've got to play Villa twice. <sighs> Should, let's try and be positive, but but the worst case is we could finish as low as eleventh. Um, Possible, and that would be a major failure, just unmitigated failure. So they can't allow that to happen. They've got to rise above the injury problems and and find a way to to beat Spurs, find a way to beat Villa, and you know Wolves, the teams that we face in the running. Um, so it's it really is a crucial time. Um, Hopefully, Alan is able to play. Gomez returns, and uh, you know we get a bit of the cavalry back. But uh, it's going to be an absolutely crucial game. Well, on a bit of a lighter note, certainly in terms of entertainment, anyway, it couldn't have been more different from Monday. 
uh, <laughs> when I think you said to me at one point, and I couldn't have uh, I couldn't have worded it better. What did we do in a, in a past life to deserve watching this game? Um, <laughs> just terrific. But yeah, there was a fantastic game of football last night in the Champions League. PSG buying. Obviously, the results in the end uh, didn't didn't matter enough. Bayern only won by one. PSG went through the semi final of the Champions League on goal difference. What a game it was! And before you wonder why I'm prattling on about this, there clearly were topics of interest for Blues with uh, Idrissa Gay frustratingly looking the player that we all admired when he was at Goodison, and of course Maurice Keane on the pitch and trying to make a difference. Uh, as the game ticked on, it was a, it really was a classic game, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed this one. I, I enjoyed both legs. And I have to be honest, I've not always enjoyed lockdown football. At, at its worst, it's felt a little bit soulless, um, particularly when Everton had been playing poorly. Um, so to watch this felt like a bit of a treat and an, and an antidote to uh, to Monday. <clears throat> Monday's game at, at the Amex, um, the Everton link's obviously quite clear, um, more interested in how Moise Keane's getting on, um, given he's still an Everton player. And uh, at the moment, will terminate his loan and come back as an Everton player next season. Um, a lot of talk about his future, obviously, came off the bench here, but is in the main um, being a starter with PSG, which is obviously an achievement in its own right, given the, the players they've got at their disposal. He's had a great season. It just looks really, really good every time. I see him playing in a variety of different roles. He came on against Bayern uh, the other night as a kind of a left-sided forward, cutting inside and breaking forward with the ball and was quite exciting. One very erratic shot, if we're being honest. But, um, Probably more reminiscent of the Moise game we watched at Goodison a lot, wasn't it, that shot, to be honest? It, it was, yeah. Yeah, it was. And obviously it didn't click for him at Goodison. It never really clicked. And I think he will want to stay either PSG or play a similar level of football mm. next season. He wasn't first choice at Everton even. So to to make the step up, go to a side that's now in the semi-finals of the Champions League, play with Neymar and Mbappe, but also be playing regularly and getting game time, I think is, is quite something for him. Um, it's kind of a win-win situation for Everton because if he comes back, he does come back, then Everton have got a revitalised striker potentially on the hands. Still, I think, one of the best young strikers in the world. But if he does want to leave and Ancelotti allows him to leave, as he suggested, could happen in that scenario, then Everton at the very least get a, a situation where clubs are going to be interested in Moise Keane, potentially PSG. We think they'll go for him in the summer. And Juventus have been sniffing around supposedly as well. So, what, what you've got to hope is that if he does decide that he wants to move elsewhere, that you force a bit of a bidding war um, and that um, Everton are able to cash in on somebody who is not an integral part of the squad at the moment. Um, if you can get a big fee for him, then that's obviously vital collateral in the uh, in the upcoming transfer market. So that might be the way forward. That's certainly probably the way forward that I would suggest. I'm delighted for Idris Gave. Have you seen the photo of him on uh, social media after the game in the in the PSG um, dressing yeah. room, mate. Yeah, Tremendous, <laughs> shirt off, spinning his shirt around on the on the table. I'm, I'm really pleased for him, to be honest. Um, but it is a bittersweet form of pleasure. Um, glad that he's probably getting what he's deserved because he obviously wanted to leave six months prior 
to to actually departing Goodison and Everton told him to hold on and wait. I thought in that six months period it was one of the best spells of his Everton career. Um really important cog for Marco Silva as Everton finished that season very strongly. And I was just in awe of his professionalism, really, because I think it would have been really easy for him to buy out of the yeah. project, and he didn't. If anything, he, for me, he stepped it up and showed why he's such a good player. Um, so you're delighted to see him do well and to get that opportunity and to play as he did. I thought he was monumental in um, midfield for, for PSG. Um, but it's, it's bittersweet because you look at it and go, well, imagine what he would do to the Everton midfield right now um, with his energy, his work rate, his defensive acumen. Um, I still think he's a ter- terrific player and he's picked up a PSG after seemingly being surplus to requirements last last summer. So delighted for him, but it, it's almost a, another example of what we what we're missing. We haven't replaced him for you know, despite trying. Uh and that's not, you know, a dig at Gabam and such a sad situation that but we haven't replaced him and that's the truth. And that's the fact of the matter that, that everything they're trying to contend with. Um, and seeing him playing like that only reinforces what we're missing. Um, and to you know, to a degree, we spoke about this as well. Seeing what Keane offers in terms of his pace, uh, penetration, not always the, uh, the the finished product by any means. Runs a goal, although he has scored a lot of goals for them. Um, admittedly, league on can vary in terms of the quality of opponents, but nevertheless, just shows you that uh, you know that, that Everton still needs to put some key pieces together in the summer, like we keep saying. And I think you're absolutely right that getting absolute top dollar for Keane is going to be important because there's still the issue, albeit it's murky, how Everton are going to have to bend towards it, given it's in the process itself of being reshaped. But financial fair play still casts a shadow over most clubs with a wealthy owner who wants to try and pump prime away into the, the, the top four uh, you know, they might make it easier, they might not. We just don't know. There's still the Premier League sustainability rules. Everything can't go out, uh, even if they were in a position to, and just splash 200 million in, in the window. So it's going to mean it's important to get money coming in. And Moise you know, as you as you rightly say, is a key cog in that. So let's hope that they can, uh, let's hope that he has a successful end to the Champions League. Certainly, let's hope that they you know, maybe go all the way and uh, his value is absolutely at the pinnacle of, of what we can get for him. It's important that we didn't have a buyback clause. So congratulations to Brands for that. Um, in doing that deal with the event system, I'm sure they'll be frustrated as they you know sort of look at imagine if we were in Juventus' shoes, you'd be you'd be furious that they didn't somehow they wanted one as well, didn't they? And yeah, they did. Yeah. That was an initial part of the negotiation. They they sold him because they needed money. Um and they were they were quite intent on on the buyback, we're told, but Brands managed to find a way of, of doing the deal without it. Getting him for what I still think was a decent price for a highly rated young forward. And you've got to be looking above that 25, 30 million now uh, if he continues with this form. Um, provoke a bit of a bidding war potentially if he does want to leave and uh, and, t- and take it from there. But the better he does, the better it is for Everton, obviously. Particularly if he does well and then ends up in the Euros, Let's say, for example, PSG go on to win the Champions League or or get into the final, and then he goes to the Euros and does well. I think that that only adds to his value um, and puts Everton in a particularly strong position when it comes to potentially negotiating an exit. Absolutely, 
Well, fingers crossed for that, but more importantly, fingers crossed for a, a massive result on Friday night under the lights. Uh, we'll be there providing all the usual uh, pre and post game interaction and then a fantastic piece of analysis, no doubt, from Paddy, hopefully on a crucial three points for Everton. Thank you very much for listening. See you next week. your ears by The Athletic, I'm Adam Hurry and Football Clichés is the podcast you never knew you needed. Every week, to quite unnecessary depth, we examine the words, the phrases, the accepted wisdom, the mannerisms, the habits, the gestures, the symbols, the sounds and the smells that everyone takes for granted in football, but which really are the glorious glue that holds it all together. For example, have you ever really listened to the Football League goals roundups? I mean, really listen to them? Because they all sound pretty much like this. Team X went into this game with just one win in their last 13 and when Team Y took the lead inside four minutes at Stadium Z, the home fans were probably starting to fear the worst. But Striker A had other ideas and this game turned on its head in the space of five minutes midway through the second half. First, a smart finish from the edge of the box brought Team X level and he repeated the trick on the hour mark to bring his tally for the season to 22. By now, Team X were in the mood, and although striker A squandered a gilt-edge chance to complete his hat-trick, on-loan Dutchman winger B made it three with a curling effort from long range. Team Y's misery was compounded in stoppage time when midfielder C's late challenge on fullback D saw them reduced to ten men. An afternoon to forget for manager E's men then, but Team X will hope they have finally turned a corner under caretaker boss manager F. Listen to Football Clichés wherever you get your podcasts and also ad-free when you subscribe to The Athletic. The Athletic.